Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Cassie, I would say um, we're a man down this week, and I would blame the start of the show on that, but the, the fact of the matter is I just forgot last week's question. And <laughs> so um, maybe we'll pick that back up next time uh, when Patrick's available. Alrighty. Uh, pending construction horror stories that is <laughs> um so there was a bit of news this week on um, i guess we're this will be the uh, last episode before the regular season kicks off and wouldn't you know it we have a lovely off-ice story to discuss oh it's just it, it's touching even yes Touching that anger bone. <laughs> or ankle bone. Yeah. Yeah. So, Austin Matthews. <sighs> in Austin. all honesty, I'm, I'm actually more disappointed in how he addressed it publicly than the rest of it. But, yeah. So, so uh, go on. What, what were you going to say? <laughs> Oh, I mean, he's now falling in great territory of fellow U.S.-born number one overall draft pick, Patrick Kane, mm. on my permanent shit list. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, for Patrick Kane and all his drunken exploits, he's kept his nose clean, but he's never shown any contrition, remorse, or you know, attempt to better himself, at least publicly. And when you're a public figure and you are getting endorsement after endorsement, when you're a poster boy for the league. And you say hockey. Yeah. I don't care how squeaky clean and how much you've changed behind the scenes. You got to do it in front of cameras as well and microphones. And I have a feeling we're, we're going down that exact same path with Matthews here. And honestly, the first thing, you know, I heard about the arrest and I was just like, okay, great. He's a moron. <laughs> yeah. He's a 21 year old moron, but still it stinks. And then you hear about the, you know, the video and you know, the, security officer's testimony to police. And then I'm just like, I, I pray to God he never goes back to Arizona and play for the Coyotes. Hmm. Let him stay in the cesspool that is, you know, the center of the hockey universe. Or so they like to think. So they like to think indeed. So here's, here's always been my problem with these things. Speaking as a woman, we know stupid shit's going to happen. And yeah, I'm going to put that out there because I know we're kind of a family show, but it still is what it is. And being drunk is no excuse, but things happen when you're drunk. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, it could have been a lot worse than it was and whatever. My problem with it is when it became public, you know... Austin Matthews just kind of shrugged it off as, you know, you know, I regret how this looks on the team and that's about it. Gave zero thought to what the, what he put this poor woman through. 
um, because he doesn't clearly doesn't see her as a human being. Um, and so I actually, there was somebody, I don't remember who it was. Somebody had a, the, the perfect comment to one of the stories on this. And it was a, um, a guy and he had said, you know, you look at it from Matthew's perspective and it doesn't seem like such a big deal, but then you hear the security guards perspective and then you realize that it was really bad. Mm-hmm. And there's no accountability. He takes no responsibility for any of it. He doesn't apologize to this poor woman that he like frightened half to death. You know, there's none of that. It's just lip service to the team to make sure that he smooths things over with the team, whether he believes that or not. And that is that moving on, doesn't think anything of it. And so, I mean, well, he has to, cause there's court dates and things involved, but, um, you know, for once I would like to see a professional athlete from any sport say, yes, I did this. I regret what I put this woman through and it will never happen again. I mean it. And then follow up with like some meaningful, like, um, you know, community outreach stuff, like raising money for a woman's shelter or something, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's really what like, that gets me is that you never hear any of these guys and not just hockey. It's like across the board, men's professional sports. You never hear any of them say, I'm sorry, I put this woman through this. No, you don't. And the story itself, one, I was kind of empowered by what she had to say. Um, and I'm failing to find her name. That's right okay. We, you don't want to like, that's the other thing too. Is Blast it out there. Yeah. Her name should never have been mentioned. But when I heard she, I don't think she gave us, gave the police department an account of her feelings on the incident itself. So I I can only imagine. Um, But the way I read it was she was going to let it go by because they were drunk idiots, Mm -hmm. specifically Matthews. But, you know, the next day when she heard about Matthew's father getting involved and trying to basically cover it up. And she went, Oh hell no. <laughs> I loved it because in all honesty, if she says that she just, they thought they were drunk idiots and she made no mention of her emotions or feelings in that moment, at least that I have read. So I'm not going to presume anything. But the fact that she wanted to go after basically the sense of entitlement because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to be an idiot and be completely ignorant to another person's feelings or, or you know, how comfort. someone yeah, comfort or security uh, is one thing. But then when you try and cover it up and just kind of baby this kid, oh, now, that pissed he- me off the most. He's a freaking adult, you mm-hmm. know, he, he actually is responsible for his own actions. And if he doesn't know how to treat people 
generally speaking, doesn't know how to treat people, whether sober or drunk, mm-hmm. then that's the parent's fault. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, re- I had this conversation about another matter, just another NHL player. And I happen to know someone that works in the visitors locker rooms of all Carolina hurricanes games. And so they have to deal with all the visiting players mm-hmm. and you can really tell a lot about a person based on the way they treat total strangers. Well, not even that, how they treat people that can do absolutely nothing for them. Yes. Because if, if somebody is a stranger, but they can still do something for your benefit, they're going to be treating them nice. But you would if hope. They, yeah. But if they, do, they have nothing to offer you and they're a total stranger... You know, that's that's where you know what kind of character that person has. Mm-hmm. It's that whole like cliche of on a first date, you always watch what your date, how your date treats the wait staff thing. Yes, it's that sort of deal. Yeah, I did. and that's kind of how I felt in the situation about a. We were talking about a very prominent, popular NHL people that everyone gush over, and I've heard stories that this person behind the scenes is complete assholes to basically support staff. You know, people that they don't deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an isolated situation. And that kind of rang in the back of my head in this situation. Like, how does Matthews treat, you know, people on the road when he's got the, you know, cameras nearby? Or what happens when the, you know, dressing room door shuts? How is he treating all these people because i'm sure everyone in scottsdale at least in the hockey community put him on a silver platter beyond just what his parents have done um because you know you've read all the stories about the things that they did for him and they are a well-to-do family Mm -hmm. so they have always had the means and the wherewithal to do things and you know that shouldn't be held against someone then when you hear stories about this how you're I don't know if it's parents' ego or if it's just they think this is the path of protecting their child. They're hurting him in the long run. Yeah, I I mean, I think a lot, if somebody else made the comment, and I don't remember who it was, um, had tw- there was a couple of really good tweets that day when it actually broke. Um, one person had said, um, is this, does he just not, I mean, deal with women at all, like period? Or does he not care enough about the women in his life, like mothers and sisters, cousins, grandmothers, to care about how he may, if he's making someone else feel safe or not? I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. And then somebody had quoted that on Twitter and said, you know, this is really indicative of, Guys who are raised with men and play, you know, and work with men and only have to deal with men. It's that locker room mentality of, of you don't see women as people. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, even still, it's, it's going back to the whole idea that, the you know, you don't, a lot of people don't understand how their actions impact others um to put it in perspective for the guys now imagine sitting in an empty parking lot at 2 a.m and three gay men 
three gay men who are the size of NFL offensive linemen come over and start harassing you. That's what that security guard felt like. It's not a pleasant feeling. No. I mean, that, there is nothing I can say. I can't. I mean, you're, you're feeling threatened and terrified and you don't know what they're going to do. And they're all so much bigger than you. And there's three of them and one of you and, and they're drunk and they're unpredictable and, and you just don't know. Yeah. And that's, and that's the only example I can like give men is it, or it's like, um, a woman feels like walking into a room full of men, it would be like your average size guy walking to a room of NFL linebackers, you know, <laughs> it's like they can do whatever they want to you. They're so much bigger than you and stronger than you. And, and, and that's what it's like to be a woman. And then on top of that, then you have these three jerks who are drunk approaching your vehicle at 2 a.m. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I mean, and I get it, you know, everybody's reality is different and a lot of men don't have to deal with that reality. Uh, and so they don't, they don't see it. They don't understand it. They can't relate to it. Um, and that, you know, that's totally understandable. But at the same time, if a woman's telling you that's her reality, then believe it. Yeah. And Matthews clearly has not been, either he hasn't listened to enough women hasn't believed them or doesn't see them as people because he's always around men mm -hmm. and I'm not excusing his behavior because that's not right either but that would be my that would be my guess as to why that happened that way besides being drunk and 21 or 22 years old yeah <laughs> making stupid decisions and for as much as he's put in the spotlight we really don't know the level of his emotional um not only emotional security but just emotional availability like as a former 21 year old moron i mean <laughs> i didn't i didn't know how to act around women now i'd like to think i was wiser than this i was never <sighs> i was always very self-conscious about mm -hmm. kind of what I would say or, or what I did. And don't get me wrong. There were times I put my foot in my mouth because I said something and I didn't realize the way another person would take it. And then I was mortified when someone called me out on it. And that's the difference like, though, is that yeah. somebody called you out on it. I don't think he's ever been called out on anything. Probably not. And I mean, I know emotionally as a 21, 22 year old guy, it took a while before I understood my thoughts and feelings and just as a sober person, let alone as someone inebriated where, you know, you, I can see him just basically using you know, being drunk as an excuse where, you know, there was parts of the videos and the testimony where, you know, I guess his friends, quote unquote, were trying to talk him out of this, or at least one was. And it just makes you wonder, well, if you're putting yourself in this situation, you just, you don't have a clue. No. No, and it's the same thing with Patrick Kane. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just... It's, it, it seems very self-absorbed. Yeah. 
and, you know, and caring about the people around you. And that's just, you know, first rule in life is to not be an asshole. Yep. And apparently they haven't quite figured out that they're being assholes, <laughs> you know, because no one calls them out on this stuff. It's it's the um, it's the professional athlete prerogative. And I mean, I guess you should say white, white professional athlete prerogative where they can do whatever they want and they go untouched. Yeah. And just kind of all this stemmed back to me thinking about kind of the way local youth hockey organizations are, you know, basically developed and, and base their programs on where they have kids basically traveling on the weekends from the time they are, you know, seven or eight years old until they quit or move on to a better program. And it just makes me wonder how isolating and just kind of how sterile or, or better yet, how much life these kids have lost out on in the pursuit of like a fraction of a fraction of a percent of a chance on something. Um, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised when you hear basically morons like Matthews because he was an absolute moron in this situation. Mm-hmm. From beginning to end, he, all his actions spoke of someone who was guilty and scared. Not, not about what he had done, but the about to be caught. Yes, right. No, I mean, and that's and that happens a lot. It's like when people apologize, they're not apologizing for their action; they're apologizing because they got caught. Like, you know how this whole story goes away. He goes and, and finds a way to meet the security guard the next day or is forced into doing it. There are no charges filed. There, There's no story. He doesn't look like a moron not reporting the incident to his team. But beyond that, it's just like have a little decency. Like when you make a mistake, just own up to it because honestly, it would have been much better for him and for the person. You may have given the security guard a little peace of mind in her emotional state. I don't know. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't, but you got to at least make that effort. But instead to kind of hide behind your parents, which I'm reading into the reports that I've read, and that's what I think he did. And he just kind of... He knows that the boys will be boys card will keep him safe. Kind of. I mean, Shanahan actually has a, um, let's see, he has some kind of agreement with some organization about women's empowerment or something. So, and then Dubas, I don't know what actually I mean, I'm, I'm thinking behind the scenes, both of those guys are probably dragging Matthews out going, okay, you need to go and, and make this better. And if you don't, then we're going to set something up where you're dealing with women every day. <laughs> yeah. You know? no, well, they should do that regardless. Cause I, I don't know if this was just innuendo or scuttlebutt, but you know, through the weird back channels where we hear things, I heard Shanahan was absolutely livid. Like, oh, I believe it. 
I totally and, believe it. And I mean, I hate to bring this back to hockey, but Matthews just cost himself the captaincy. Yeah, you know, well, he doesn't. He isn't acting very captainy, isn't he? No, is he? You know, it's like he's not owning up and saying I did this and I did it wrong, and and I need to fix it. And he's not, you know, as we talked about in previous episodes, the captaincy should be about people with character, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of success, and uh. But the captaincy tends to go to people who are successful rather than have character. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, there's this whole part of the hockey culture, generally speaking, anyway, is there's this entitled victimhood going on anyway. Um, it's just a thread that runs through all of the NHL the AHL, probably junior as well, where if you listen to enough interviews of a variety of players, you will hear two things. One, that they have done nothing wrong. And two, that if something involved another player, then it was the other player's fault and the other player's out to get them. It is never their fault. It is never... They contributed to whatever happened. It is none of that. It is always either somebody else's fault or it's just a hockey play kind of crap. And so you get that. And um, I mean, that's just the, I think there was, uh, I don't remember who it was. There was someone a couple of years ago who actually came out, something happened, off ice happened. And they actually came out and said, no, you know what? That was my fault. I did that. And I just about fell over. (laughs) Like, wait, what? Somebody was accountable? Somebody took responsibility? Wait, what? So so you have this whole, like, thing going on, this entitled victimhood thing going on. And um, on top of all of that, and so it's – that also plays into the whole thing with Matthews, too, is – Again, that's exactly what he said. That's how he presented it in the brief little 30-second press conference that he had that he apologized to the team, acknowledged that it was going on, and that was that. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised he didn't blame the uh, <laughs> the uh, security card. Well, well she I, hadn't been there. <laughs> the one thing that was left out of a lot of the transcripts um, – was he's at the end? He says, "But because of an ongoing le- legal matter, I can't discuss this any right. further." And no, I didn't see that. I, I'm sure that was part of why he used or was told to use the precise words that he did. But man, is it just a! It still sucks to hear. Like I know why those words were chosen specifically and it's to you know mm-hmm. protect him in the court of law which is his right but if you just own up take a little responsibility it's everything would have been much easier well and here's the other thing again woman's point of view is that so many men who get caught doing things they shouldn't be doing around women or to women really genuinely genuinely believe they did nothing wrong 
Absolutely. Because no one's ever called them out on it before. And so they're like, well, I mean, I've always like kissed women on the cheek at work. It's been no big deal. Why, why is this woman calling me out on it when it's been sexual harassment all along? You know? And so I think that's also part of it is that he may think genuinely just believe like so many men do because there there's this whole group of men hockey fans that are like i don't see what the big deal is nothing happened you know it was just funny ha ha joking around they were drunk no big deal because either they've done something similar or they you know people have done something similar and thought it was no big deal <laughs> and you know it would be I don't want to say no big deal, but it would be a much, you'd be coming from a much better place if, you know, I am sure I have said or done something at some point that was totally innocent, not meant to, and, and I'm just thinking verbally, I, I said something, made a comment that was pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to think over time I've matured and learned and in gained enough one life experience but two i've listened to enough stories from at least my female friends from my wife you know my sister-in-law my sister etc etc where it's just like oh these situations are, are plainly obvious and one of the big ones i saw today were people commenting about when you were walking down the street and you know i'm a man passes a woman. How is that woman feeling in the moment? Well, I'm kind of scared shitless sometimes because I don't want to put someone in, in a position. So, you know, I, when I can, I make an effort to walk across the street. If, mm-hmm. Depending upon the time and circumstances, I, I also like to think I don't follow too close or, or, or I try and keep my distance just because I don't know what this person has gone through in their life. I have no idea. And I'm starting to become cognizant about doing it with men, too. Um, right, because there but, are a number of men who have been sexually abused as well, and they get paranoid about that kind of stuff. And also, I know I am I deal with anxiety on a near-daily basis, and just sometimes being too close to another person just kind of gets me agitated. So I, from my own point of view it's like i don't know what kind of day this other person has gone on i just don't want to make them uncomfortable so i you know make sure i always step to the side leave space and that's just i gained that through my own life experience and when i'm going to try and bring this full circle (laughs) when we see these hockey programs populated by middle to upper class white male children they don't have the necessary life experience. And then they, like you said, through the blame the victim uh, culture that's been, you know, perpetrated throughout the years, nothing ever changes in it. And, oh, it leaves everybody just so short-sighted in this stupid game. Oh, well, you know, it, so here's, here's, <laughs> this is, this is my complaint about all of it with professional men's sports. So much of this could be avoided if there were more women working for teams. Because the problem is that 
these guys aren't around women often enough to make to realize that women are people. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the players especially have been taught that there are gold diggers out there who are just after you for your money. And, you know, you don't trust women because they're just going to hurt you and be a distraction to the team and all of that ridiculousness. And, you know, because they're surrounded by men all day, it's perpetuated. Mm-hmm. So all you really need is a bunch of, you know, not a bunch, but some some women who actually understand the sport. And there's plenty of us working with teams or on teams or in teams. So these guys can be certain you know around women that they can learn to respect and understand and know that they are human beings just like them mm. um so which segues nicely into cami granado oh, thank god <laughs> happy news let's talk about something good <laughs> i mean granted cami granado is is uh not going to be working with players She's going to be up in the press box in Vancouver doing pro scouting for the Seattle NHL team. But um, but still, I mean, Todd Lewicki apparently told um, Ron Francis that they were going to do things differently, and they wanted to be wanted to have more diversity within the front office. Uh, and so, you know, their first major hire was, and I can't think of her name. This the stats the lady who's doing or heading up the stats department. Um, Amanda, I cannot pronounce her last name. Uh, oh, what is it? But actually she was hired before Francis. Right. She actually had influence in his hiring. She was, she was the first major hire that they, you know, had gotten actually before anybody. Um, and then, you know, I'll give it to Ron Francis because like, just because the, the, hockey ops people currently there are saying go for diversity he's still a long time you know been in the league for decades right and so it's mm. it's for him to like just sit there and say oh yeah camry granada she's gonna be a, a scout it's like good for you that you're you're not stuck in this mentality that you have to hire all your buddies which he did anyway but and Cam Granado's married to a former teammate anyhow and so <laughs> you know but still details mm-hmm. I mean, and let's be honest i mean Ron's former teammate is half the player cameos so um I was glad that she was the highlight of the hiring. I guess they made what four or five hires for she their scouting. She's one of four. Yeah, or else the headline would have been, "How disappointing is it that Ulf Samuelson's uh, coaching career never got off the ground?" And now he's, <laughs> he's sulking back to his buddy. No, you know everybody in Seattle, like all, all the Seattle news people that I follow, were like. We're like they hired Hall of, you know, they hired a Hall of Famer and they hired, you know, former NHLer and like one of the headlines was, or not the headlines, but the lead was, you know, they form they hired a former or NHLer and a Hockey Hall of Famer and then you get to the article it's like Hockey Hall of Famer Cami Granado. Mm-hmm. They didn't like genderize it in in the lead. <laughs> 
they just, you know, because so, everybody would look at that and automatically think man. But, you know, so, uh, so yeah, that was pretty awesome. Everybody with everybody in Seattle, like, was thrilled. They all just focused on Cami Granado. They were just like, they hired Cami Granado. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's actually the perfect uh, role for her because she's been vocal in the past, um, you know, tying back into the mental health aspect of things. She's been one to, deal with anxiety and she had been approached by pro teams in the past. And I think she was just not in a position and I, I got to dig this story up and I'll, I'll, I'll send it out maybe from the three V three Twitter account um, where she just wasn't, she couldn't find the good fit for her comfortability, but I think pro scouting will be, I think, I think she'll be great at it. I think she'll be excellent. I mean, I think it's one thing for elite elite athletes to train another athlete, but they can definitely pick them out. They can pick out talent. Um, and quickly, because I said her name wrong, uh, their director of hockey administration is Alex or Alexandra uh, Mandricki. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said Amanda because I'm a moron. <laughs> <sighs> no, no, that's all right. You were close. Yeah, I'd rather get some someone who's far smarter and more accomplished in the hockey community deserves to have their name properly. One pronounced, but said correctly well you know as someone who has a a last name that has got too many l's too many c's and not enough vowels um (laughs) (laughs) it's okay (laughs) i get my name butchered on a regular basis um it's one of those things you just kind of accept it's like all right well and then you get you get you have that pleasant surprise of somebody who actually says it right the first time like, oh, you actually know how to say my name. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, and it's pro scouting that Cami Granada's doing. She's not doing amateur scouting. She's doing pro scouting, which yeah. means that she'll be at NHL games scouting NHL players. And that's going to be a little bit different than because you know a lot of people would probably think oh as a woman she should be doing amateur scouting but you know it's it's a uh, she's going to be scouting nhlers from vancouver british columbia and i have to put the bc in there because there's a vancouver washington that's outside mm-hmm. of portland oregon and um so you know she's she was a very high level athlete and so they're going to use that to, you know, pick out other high-level athletes. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah. But then Ron Francis is also going to be scouting because, you know, they're not going to be doing anything for another two years. <laughs> and honestly, it's one of his strengths as a one of the 200 hockey men. Yeah. He is a good at player evaluation. Well, that's good because, you know, he's going to be putting together a team. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I, I, and we'll go down this road when it gets closer to hiring a staff and 
ultimately, you know, selecting a team, but he is very loyal to the people that he selects as draft picks or hires that, you know, that's going to be the one interesting thing to watch. Will he be able to do what George McPhee did and take a draft pick like Nick Suzuki and flip him almost immediately um, Mm. for more help on the day-to-day roster? Um, And so hopefully there's a certain pro scout, you know, pushing for some certain players that say, yeah, you should trade this, trade some of your, you know, prospects for this person now when the time is right it depends on i guess it's going to depend on what kind of how they look at building this team if they're looking at it with the vegas model of winning now or if they look at it with the traditional you know it's going to take us a few years to get up to where we want to be because we want to like draft and and build from you know internally um so yeah it i'm sure that the right now i know that the uh expectation is they're going to go the vegas model which is win as soon as possible and having grown up in the seattle area i would recommend that (laughs) It, it makes the most business sense i think well there's that but um there's so many other options to do so many other things and not just sports that it, you know, the novelty is going to wear off fairly quickly. And if they're not good, people aren't going to show up. Yeah. And you look at the Mariners. <laughs> it's just, it's sad. But I saw, I saw all those yellow signs in the, in the crowd the other night. Yeah. It's because someone was retiring. Or someone's not being re-signed. Or re-signed, or however that all works. I don't yeah. pay that much attention to the Mariners anymore. Neither do <laughs> I. It was the first time I heard about them in two years, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, because they're, they're... And the Seahawks were like this for a long time, too. Is the, And the Mariners have been this way almost the entire time. Is, is the good enough to not get that first round draft pick but bad enough to not make playoffs yeah mediocre mediocrity is the worst thing in the world in the nhl and the mariners are are the epitome of mediocrity and the seahawks were for a long time too um so you know the because the seahawks are good now the sounders are good um the storm is good. The Huskies are good. There's going to be an expectation that if the NHL team isn't good, well, we can go watch these other sports or we could just, you know, go see kayaking across the sound if we want. It's just one of those things. So, um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend doing the, the Vegas model of winning as soon as winning as much as possible, as soon as possible. But I mean, I don't know what, what, what Ron Francis has in mind. I, he may not, agree with that uh this is one case where i don't think past behavior will necessarily dictate future actions because he was you know in his four years in carolina it was built from the ground up stay patient he never made a an h 
an in-season player-for-player trade. But he wasn't around long enough to get the Kevin Chevel day off treatment. Like, when's he finally going to do this? And it made sense for Chevel day off to wait and wait and wait. Because they got a pretty good deal on the team at the time. Mm-hmm. Versus what, you know, Seattle, I mean, they're, they're probably playing seven to eight times as much at the end of the day on just the team. Not to mention, you know. The money, whatever portion of money they are dumping into the arena, the practice facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think their best bet is to find a bunch of good, not great, not superstar, not diamond in the rough, but just good young defensemen and almost do what Vegas did and overdraft defensemen just so you have a bunch because mm-hmm. as long as you have competent players and you're not picking up, you know, scrap heat, you know, like Derek England wasn't Vegas's anchor on the back line. He was there. He was a five, six at best mm-hmm. because they had other guys to insulate him with. So if they can do that and then, you know, you've somehow acquire scoring via trades, later down the road, they can be successful pretty early on because their division's a dumpster fire. Well, you know, you're working with the assumption that um, they're going to need six or eight defensemen because apparently Cooper in Tampa has been playing around with going with four forwards and one defenseman during even strength times. So... (laughs) Just go positionless. Let, that's go. that's basically let's what. Go. Yeah, that's basically what the deal is. And so, um, and I was thinking of Todd Lightwicky because he was, you know, with Tampa for a long time during their rebuild. And so, um, I'm sure that that Lightwicky is going to want to do what Tampa did. You know, to like turn it around immediately by doing this and this and this. So, it'll be interesting to see how much in, how much input like wiki has um or because it sounds like right now that he's calling the shots and ron francis is just going along with whatever he says (laughs) so that could be an interesting scenario too (laughs) um but yeah no the the cooper thing was yeah because somebody was doing some tracking and and uh, the game and they were like some some stats people fans I guess uh, and so they had to readjust after the game because Cooper was playing with four forwards and one defenseman I mean I'm not opposed to that um, you just got to find a coach that is well not Cooper <laughs> I think we can both agree on that. Although I, you know, I'm not fond of him. I probably have a, I'm probably more or less critical of him than you are, but you, you have more insight in the Tampa organization than I do. Yeah. Just someone flexible and non-controlling. So basically, what's the opposite of an NHL coach? Mm-hmm. <sighs> that that's what you'll need to make a four-one system work. See, 
Cooper is innovative, and I'll give him that. And he's successful because he does things in a way that makes sense to the players. Um, the problem is, once he gets an idea in his head, he doesn't deviate from it. Oh, yes. And, that, and I so, think is yeah. A, that, is a, that is a scarlet letter for every coach. Right. I mean, he has a really hard time with – he doesn't – he doesn't really do in-game adjustments. He barely does period intermission adjustments. Mm-hmm. He's the let the game go from beginning to end, and then I'll figure it out when it's over kind. Which is and, a recipe for disaster in the playoffs, or which, so we've seen. Yeah, well, I mean, they did make it to the final, right? Once. Yeah, but that was earlier on in yeah. his NHL tenure, and, and then you get too smart for yourself sometimes yeah and that's his problem is one he is not good at adjusting and two he is a little arrogant because he thinks that he knows more than everybody else um and yeah it's just again i really think the reason he's lasted in tampa this long is because um Iserman and now Breezebaugh don't want to cut him loose for fear that he will be a spiteful jerk and um, sign with another team within the division. <laughs> I mean, if he wants to go to Ottawa, not they can't afford him, so there's one. Uh, Toronto is booked up. That's two. Boston. Yeah, if he nah. waits long enough, he could end up in Montreal. <laughs> Does he speak French? I mean, he's educated and all, but does he speak French? Mm, no, no I, I, I don't know if he does, but if he, even if he doesn't, he won't learn. He'll, yeah, he'll insist. Gonna... That it's like, no, I speak English, so if you want anything out of me, then ask me in English. So, so I guess the, the story is, does he end up in Detroit with Iserman? Mm, no, because is it Blaze Hill, Blas Hill, Blashill? Jeff Blashill. Okay. Um, he's actually a friend of Cooper's. And if he needs an assistant, I, I can't see Cooper being an assistant coach. I really can't. I don't, his ego wouldn't allow it, I don't think. No, but I could <laughs> see him being the replacement because Blashell is not an Iserman hire. Now, Iserman, I think he is, even in Tampa, he he, he wasn't quick to change things no but he was definitely he definitely wanted his own people sure but he he waited for the time the 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 time to do it too right but he also will see he very carefully got rid of every player that wasn't drafted by him Mm -hmm. um it took him like two or, or three or four years but he very carefully and I don't know if it was intentionally or not, but or you know just a subconscious thing or something. But pretty much everybody that he didn't draft is gone or was gone, like by year four of his tenure in Tampa. So yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it, it's looking more and more like Breezeball kept Iserman reined in a little bit. To me, I think Iserman was a bit more um, drastic and abrupt and um, 
more of a risk taker than he looked to be in Tampa. Because from just so far, the little bit he's been in back in Detroit, I think he's more than happy to like pull the trigger. I think yeah. it was Breeze Blah who was like, "Oh no, you might want to think about that." <laughs> and, and I think outside of you know their first round draft pick this past summer, I think he has shown plenty of restraint. I think there are some things he could have done or, or paths he could have taken. Like today, um, Detroit assigned, I think, Zadina and Joey Valeno, you know, their two first-round draft picks last year, back to the AHL. Mm -hmm. Or two years ago, instead of, you know, making them suffer with Dylan Larkin. Because there's no forward talent, but, you know, why basically, you know, drown or, or burn ELC years at least in Zadina's case, uh, Valeno should be old enough. Um, I'm surprised he, he doesn't have at least one of them up with the big club yet. Yeah, he, he was very good about, um, he was always very good about, like, letting talent, like, develop. Mm -hmm. And not um, dictating. And I think he learned that from Holland. Up to a point. Up, yeah, I agree. Because then we could get into the whole Jonathan Duran situation. And Yeah, I think he learned from that, though, hopefully. Speaking of Duran. <laughs> has he been traded yet? <laughs> has he been traded yet? Yeah. It's very That's... interesting how Montreal soured on him so quickly. I mean, the first mistake they did was try to make him a center. And what made matters worse is it didn't necessarily work out with him. But, you know, when they brought in Max Domi, it paid instant dividends. Mm -hmm. So it makes you want, you know, my logical thought was, oh, they must think, oh, if it worked for this guy, what's wrong with this other player? And I don't know. Gotta love one size fits all coaching, right? Yeah. Or one size fits all, you know, GMing. Because um, while there are some weird news uh, today where there will be no holdouts this year, the last of the RFAs all signed today. Hmm. So uh, earlier today, Miko Rantanen signed to a six-year deal. And while we were recording, uh, Kyle Connor just signed to a seven-year deal. Mm-hmm. And Toronto's freaking out because the math doesn't look good for them in Marta. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. I was just thinking about this earlier today, too, is that um, – Players have, uh, actually, yeah, players have more power right before training camp starts because teams want them to be signed before training camp starts. Play, uh, teams have more power right before the regular season starts during training camp because players are looking at training camp going, I should be there. I, I really should be there. Why am I not there? I need to be there before the season starts. So, so... I, I'm actually usually fairly surprised there are holdouts after the the beginning of the regular season. When there are, I'm like, huh, 
they didn't actually cave during training camp. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, when paychecks are on the line, but it seems like all these players, uh, Marner's just an anomaly, I'm just going to say. Um, really interesting, really good deals. Like the Matthew Kachuk signing shocked me. Um, just how for a bridge deal, his is one of the, he's going to be eventually the flames highest paid player. It was one of the most expensive three year deals. And now we have this new quirk where essentially the short term bridge deals include a player option now. So, you know, everyone on Twitter is saying, Oh, well, he signed three years for whatever dollar figure, but since the last year is for $9 million, it's really like a four-year deal at this number. It's funny how, how quickly we pick up a new quirk. Justification. <laughs> yeah, or way to make a sign uh, seem really, really interesting or, or really intelligent. But, oh, he, he, here's a fun little anecdote. So Kyle Connor signs for, oh, 7.14 million. And they had all this cap space. Uh, apparently, they have like $7.6 million in cap space left after they signed Line A earlier in the week. Or, uh, yeah, Patrick Line A earlier in the week and Connor today. Guess how much uh, Dustin Bufflin's cap hit is? Whatever they have left. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Funny how things work out that way. It's so strange, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. It's almost like it's planned or something. Oh, it's it's funny. I I kind I always love some of this just kind of puzzle pieces coming together. Uh, you know, I'm a cap friendly junkie. I'm just going to say it. Um, am I going to freak out over someone's cap number like Toronto is right now with Marner? Like <laughs> how much more he's being paid to, uh, compared to rent and then. And then how everyone is slowly, you know, all the all the naysayers are pissed. And then all the people that are all for it are like, but the taxes, but the taxes in Ontario are, you know. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, and this this just drives me crazy. The tax thing, the income tax thing drives me crazy because it's like they're wherever you go, you're going to end up paying somehow, some way, anyway. You know, the the state, the province, the city is going to get their money out of you somehow, mm-hmm. whether it's state income tax or property taxes or gas taxes or sales tax, whatever it is, whatever the heck they're taxing, they're going to get their money out of you somehow. Right. And so people talking about income tax free states like Washington state, oh, that's where they're going to sign because they don't have income tax. I'm like, they're still living there six months out of the year, nine if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That. Do you want to know what the, what the gas tax is in Washington state right now, it's like 60 cents <laughs> per gallon. That is, 
Yikes. And I mean, sales tax is like 10%. Yeah. But no one ever mentions how they're paid in U.S. dollars and the current exchange rate works in these players' favors, too. Right. Well, yeah. 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 It's funny how that's not convenient to anyone's argument at the moment. <laughs> it, it they just latch on to like the silliest things and I'm just kind of looking around going, "Do you not understand how this all works?" Wow. You know, it's like um come on. <laughs> all right. But, so that kind, that kind of leaves me with an interesting question as we kind of we're approaching the hour mark. Um next season whether it be off season in June or maybe as early as, you know, January 1st when guys on one year deals are eligible to sign new contracts. What's the new contract or negotiating core? Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. This has been the 3B3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody.